Welcome to the third season of That's So Second Millennium, the Catholic science podcast where we explore the fascinating borderlands between science and theology through realms of philosophy, human experience, and more. Welcome back to That's So Second Millennium, episode 103. This is Bill's interview with Richard Dorflinger. I'll let Bill introduce Richard Dorflinger more uh, thoroughly. He's a uh, famous retired Catholic bioethicist. They start their conversation from the point of view of an advertisement that goes, you know, that has the tagline, Science Wins, and goes on to talk about utilitarianism that's run rampant in biotechnology. We, you know, they discuss the uh, embryonic stem cell fiasco at the beginning of this century, and really try to go into the perspective of science can provide the how of things operate, but we need something else like religion, some source of moral values in order to give us the why, what's allowable, what makes sense, how resources should be allocated, all of those things. Those come from a why that science by its nature just doesn't even attempt to answer. We are still in the early centuries of science as we've come to know it. I mean, we should take the long, <laughs> the long-term perspective here. And we are far from having made that, you know, really, really gotten that thoroughly ingrained and understood. Um, we're, we're in an age that thinks science can solve everything, despite the fact that it doesn't even try. So with that, I will let you, let Bill uh, introduce Richard Dorflinger. Richard Dorflinger is a much respected bioethics expert and commentator on American culture from a Catholic perspective. And he writes in various media, including a regular column for Catholic diocesan press around the country. His decades of service to the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, from which he's now retired, focused primarily on pro-life activities. His impact on behalf of human dignity and governmental policies uh, earned him the prestigious Evangelium Vitae Medal in 2011 from the University of Notre Dame's De Nicola Center for Ethics and Culture. And thank you very much for joining me today, uh, Richard. It's a pleasure oh, to talk thank with you, you, Bill. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Uh, well, uh, your latest column published this month is a very timely and rather wide-ranging commentary relevant to the uh, COVID uh, pan pandemic, uh, but it touches on timeless uh, topics, uh, science and religion in our secular society. You've zeroed in on... Um, a commercial, a TV commercial that uh, uh, has been airing for the pharmaceutical giant Pfizer, Inc. Uh, please start us off by telling us uh, what was that commercial message that uh, prompted your reflections and your column? The commercial uh, started airing in April is about the efforts by Pfizer and others to develop a vaccine against coronavirus 19, which of course is is wonderful, and I hope they I hope they succeed. Uh, but it's all put in the context of the power of science. The ad begins at a time when things are most uncertain. We turn to the most certain thing there is, science, and uh, that immediately uh, uh, got my interest because in mean, science is a it's not an area for certainties. It's constantly changing. Uh, the uh, 
I, I, I recall reading that at the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century, physics professors were telling their students, go, don't go into physics research because we've just about got it all. Uh, you know, it's uh, we, we've got the science down. And then special relativity, general relativity, quantum physics, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, uh, the Big Bang. Uh, physics all of a sudden was, you know, uh, a whole new paradigm had to be found. So that was the first thing. And just the, the fact that if you give more and more power to science, then we are going to be better off. And of course, the first thing that occurred to me is, well, it, it, it really matters what you're using science and its power for, both science and the technologies that science gives rise to, because science itself doesn't have a moral compass. That has to be supplied from elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so uh, uh, we, we all are uh, prepared to wish Pfizer and other companies Godspeed in, in their work. But it does sound like Pfizer's message um, uses phrases that uh, are worth uh, pondering. Um, what was the uh there was one that uh I saw too that uh where we're we're taking our science and unleashing it and yes that's exactly kind of what you're saying the uh um science isn't properly used when it's simply unleashed right yeah when you unleash uh you know a dog um be be sure whether you're unleashing him to take a walk or bite somebody uh right. the, the uh you know science has been unleashed for very evil things in the past and uh some of the things that science brags that scientists brag about are having uh you know helped or or that they're trying to help uh defeat are things that were created by science in the first place. And the one example I used in the column was, you know, the, the new sources of energy may yet help to prevent us from uh, killing off our environment. But of course, the, the, the major problems to our environment are due to the past advances of science in uh, fossil fuels and the industrial revolution and the invention of all the things that led to the uh, automobile. Uh, and uh, production of coal and so on. So, uh, and of course, there's a debate now about whether this virus that they're trying to create a vaccine against ended up being, uh, you know, ended up escaping from a science lab. And I don't, I don't know whether that's true, but certainly uh, knowledge of viruses and of germs have been used as much for biological warfare as for defeating diseases. Uh, so science is powerful, and that's why it does sort of need a leash. It needs uh, control by people who can make judgments, moral judgments, about whether it's uh, being used for good or bad. Yeah. And in your column, you give a few additional examples, even beyond um, the uh, uh, COVID, immediate COVID concerns. Uh, that uh, show the the need for at least some sense of uh, leashing and some sense of uh, context. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, uh, one example I used also is you know one of Pfizer's drugs that they themselves market is uh, Cytotech, 
which has some perfectly legitimate uses. It can help prevent uh, stomach ulcers. Uh, it is also, uh, its chemical name is misoprostol, and it's, it, it is, that same drug is half the drug combination that does RU486 abortions. Mm. And so when, uh, when the ad, for example, says that uh, whenever it's faced with a new opponent, you know, science doesn't back down, it revs up asking questions till it finds what it's looking for. And uh, it had, uh, closes, when science wins, we all win. Yeah. Well, sometimes when science wins, uh, unborn children don't win. <laughs> and uh, uh, the, uh, you know, the same expertise that can, uh, uh, that can produce uh, useful drugs, useful chemicals of all kinds could also be used for uh, things like the Holocaust, uh, Zyklon B, which was developed by scientists, which was used to as poison gas for yeah. killing millions of people. So I just, I thought the smugness of, of the ad was a problem because science is, uh, it's a method for finding out questions to uh, answers to certain kinds of questions. Uh, about how things work in nature and how we can use that to our own advantage. But uh, uh, it, uh, that could serve somebody's advantage at the, the grave harm to other people. Yeah. And it's a, uh, it, is, it tells you how, but it doesn't tell you why. It doesn't tell you what, what the end is that you're using these means to achieve. Uh, efforts against the coronavirus, perfectly valid. Uh, let's use uh, our science. Let's use our moral responsibility about careful precautions against infecting others as well. And that's not a scientific question as so much as a question of personal responsibility, moral responsibility. Uh, let's use all of our resources. But science by itself does not uh, achieve only good things. Right. Right. Uh, the other another example I used was, um, you know, the whole debate, and I was very involved in this when I worked for the Bishops Conference on embryonic stem cell research. And anybody who raised moral questions about destroying uh, early human embryos for their stem cells was greeted with, "Oh, you're against science." Uh, the science shows us that this is going to be a cure for all, all these diseases. And of course, it, uh, the, the research did not cure all these diseases. Mm -hmm. And one scientist, Shinya Yamanaka, who did have a moral concern about destroying early human life, developed a whole different way of getting very versatile stem cells by reprogramming adult cells without using embryos at all. And he won the Nobel Prize for that. Yeah. Uh, one uh, one ethicist who is very much against my position, who's a sort of utilitarian ethicist uh, named uh, Harris, uh, he, uh, John Harris, he said after this discovery, Yamanaka should have won the Nobel Prize in ethics as well as in medicine because he showed us how to achieve all these goals without moral controversy and it'll be able to pursue cures all the all the better and in fact this this breakthrough of his 
induced pluripotent stem cells has gone way ahead of embryonic stem cells in in uh, studying disease. So then uh, the funny thing about that whole story is even the founder, uh, James Thompson, the founder of embryonic stem cell research in humans, publicly heaved a sigh of relief. And he said, now I can tell you that I had moral qualms myself about wow. what we were doing. Uh, but uh, I suppressed that because I thought this was the only way to do it. Uh, science did win, but it was science guided by a moral sense that there must be better ways to do this that don't uh, that don't raise concerns about violating human dignity. Yeah, yeah. So, in in, in these various ways, we have seen uh, a kind of bifurcation in the ways people uh, look at. Uh, the, uh, the 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 role of science and the facilitation of of uh, science uh, either with or without uh, moral responsibilities um, and is that a bifurcation that uh, uh, the the Catholic view um, really brings uh, additional understanding. Of and uh, are are because of these different uh, events, are we seeing a kind of growing bifurcation between the Catholic view and a more secular view of how science? And I I'd also add statistics and uh, just mm -hmm. the overall uh, research uh, function that's so celebrated uh, today, and uh, the government spends so much money on. Is there a real bifurcation between a Catholic view and a secular view? Well, it's the old the old myth. I think it was uh, started after uh, after the 18th century was that uh, religion and science have always been at war, yeah, in conflict, and uh, generally that has not been true at all. In fact, some of the great scientific discoveries, uh, including uh, the origin of genetics and and that Big Bang theory of the origin of the universe were developed by uh, Catholic clergy. Uh, but these are different fields. One of the things I, I love about Catholicism, and St. Thomas Aquinas was a great champion of this, is understanding that there are different genres of knowledge. And since the world and all of its natural resources were created by a loving God and and by an intelligence far greater than ours. So it has a rational order that it is, it is a wonderful thing to uncover some bits of that rational order with our, with our human minds. So religion was really a, a great spur in, in Western civilization to the development of science. But at the same time, they're different genres. They're different questions that are answered by them. Science can tell you how things work. Religion is about why. Uh, and uh, as long as people understand that there's no real conflict and they're mutually complementary. Uh, the church has always said that if, if you have a seeming conflict between science and faith, that doesn't happen because they're, they both come from the same God. You have to go back and see, maybe you made a scientific error or maybe you misinterpreted something in the Bible about the faith, but resolve the conflict because truth does not contradict truth. Right. And uh, bringing that, that vision and that understanding back again 
is uh, is very important. The other contribution I think that the Catholic tradition makes to all this is is that sense of uh, prudence. Uh, the Greek is phronesis, practical judgment. Uh, science provides you with resources. It provides you with raw material. It's practical judgment, moral judgment, that looks at that as the context for its moral decision-making and decides, given the facts we know, given the circumstances, how do we apply our moral principles to this particular situation? Figure out what is the best thing to do. That is not something that science can tell you. It is something that uh, virtue is needed for. The prudence is, uh, some have called it the, the queen of the virtues because it's the virtue that enables you to figure out when it's time to put into play the other virtues in a given situation. Uh, and that is something that requires uh, moral understanding that may be religious or it may not. Uh, a lot of our morality taught by the Catholic Church is natural law morality, which means it's in principle understandable to any person of goodwill, not only to someone who, is, uh, who believes in a particular religious faith. But that is needed to control both what science is trying to do and what its results get used for. Yeah, but nevertheless, uh, even uh, in regular coverage of COVID, uh, there are numerous voices one hears that seem to be discouraging our leaders. Um, uh, the the president in his relations with um, his uh, 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 anti-COVID task force, and now I guess at the state level. Uh, a lot of governors are facing pressure uh, to uh, to simply base their decisions on science and anything else. It seems nowadays is very much subject to criticism as either like injection into uh, into policy making uh, by uh, the church, which should be separate from state. Uh, or, or just um, you know, uh, an injection of uh, of politicians' bias. It seems as though the bias in our social discourse has grown more toward um, shedding this uh, this nuisance of uh, phronesis. Is that the word? Phronesis. Uh, yeah. It, it 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 doesn't necessarily have the good name that one would naturally expect it should have. Yeah, it's it's frustrating to see the level of the debate because, uh, for example, uh, look at the the whole conflict between do we keep the lockdown going for fear that otherwise the virus will get out of hand again, or do we open some things up because there are so many hardships to people and even threats to life and health from the fact that uh, the economy has has stalled and so many people are out of work and they can't pay their rent. Uh, I mean, to live, you also need food and shelter and so on. Yeah. And and I would say we also need the company of others uh, for right. a good life. And so how do you draw that equation between the health risks of allowing the virus to get out again versus the very real human risks of uh, hardship and harm from uh, uh, from continuing a lockdown. 
And as you can see, different governors are making completely different decisions about this. None of them are contradicting science, but they're trying to use their practical judgment on where you draw the line to try to balance these uh, conflicting values. And that's not a scientific question. One of the things that I've read is that because of the coronavirus debate, uh, more Americans are, in some poll or other, are showing more distrust of science because there are so many scientists out there contradicting each other. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and that's true. I mean, I, I've seen very different assessments of how, how big the risk is and what best to do to reduce it, uh, leading to different policies. And uh, that makes it kind of ironic that the Pfizer ad said uh, science is the most certain thing there is. Yeah. Uh, you, ask, yeah. you ask two scientists about the solution to some problem, you're liable to end up with three different answers. That's right. And I've, I've found that uh, in, you know, in, in dealing with issues like embryonic stem cell research and so on, I've often uh, talked to scientists and medical experts about what the facts are you get very different answers uh, from different uh, researchers on uh, what we know. Uh, it is not the most certain thing there is. So it's a, uh, I, I think a certain amount of realism, if not, if not distrust, then at least realism about what the limits of science as an institution are, would be healthy. And it would allow people to say, well, maybe there are other considerations beside besides uh, let's unleash science uh, as a way of uh, leading our common life. It's ironic that uh, that lack of um, trust in um, uh, science that, uh, that you're pointing out uh, is, uh, has generally been seen or expressed as a concern in the context of the education of young people, uh, including in uh, Catholic uh, grammar schools and high schools, because uh, the concern is that the students get the idea in their religion classes uh, that, uh, you know, well, this is, this is clearly a field where everybody's going to disagree and it's highly subjective. Thank goodness in my science class, I'm learning all of the uh, clear, sharp facts. So I think that when I grow up, I'm going to uh, forget about this religion stuff. It seems like it's just uh, made up, and I'm going to put my faith in science. Uh, it, it sounds like uh, there's real concern that not only will we lose some of these uh, young people into the category of the nuns, but also that they might uh, they might grow up to be the next uh, 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 generation of governors and leaders who are going to feel even less compunction to uh, inject uh, religion it would, because it would only add more confusion and uh, uh, conflict. Yeah, it's uh, and I think I think some of the young people are hearing in school and elsewhere that, uh, well, oh, yes, religion. That's that old thing that science has now made obsolete because science has all the answers right. that uh, that that religion used to be provided to answer. Uh, that's not true. Uh, the um, 
I mean, if you look at, for example, the uh, the the origins of uh, the world, the origins of life, uh, way back in the fourth century, Saint Augustine was already saying, you know, that accounts in Genesis. That's not meant as literal history. It wasn't really six days, <laughs> right? <laughs> and uh, and he and other uh, early theologians of the church were saying, you know. Yes, it uh, it's perfectly consistent with uh, the faith to say that life developed, it evolved, uh, things developed over time to be more sophisticated, and so on. So it you know it's it, there's a great ignorance about the uh, the Catholic tradition on these questions, on how sophisticated it is, and uh, and I think there's a kind of uh, well, a scientism that is, uh, I would I would see scientism as, as the idea that the questions or the kinds of knowledge that science is able to obtain is the only kind of knowledge right. that uh, uh, that it can answer the questions that religion used to be able to answer. That science can't answer those questions. So they're they are way beyond the 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 sphere of science. There's a uh, philosopher, uh, Roger Scruton, British philosopher, who recently uh, died, who uh, was was very interesting on on this question. Basically, said, you know, if you want to be a, a a scientist and say, oh yes, uh, all these things that people think when when they think they're making a free decision, that's really a uh, that's determined by these you know, nerves that are shooting off uh, in the in the brain. They don't really mean anything. And, uh, and of course, the, the, the response to that is to say to the scientist, including what you just said, uh, because he wants you to take what he's saying as something that, you know, a, a wise person actually uh, said because it's true, not because he was forced to by his neurons. But, uh, <laughs> but the... Uh, but what Scruton says is, you know, gee, that's that's great science. All that leaves out is uh, an account of consciousness, freedom, love, uh, our our feeling of a need for the sacred in our lives, art, music, poetry, literature. Just about everything that to most of us makes life worthwhile is left out. <laughs> yes. That's all that science leaves out. Uh, so a little more pluralism, a little more understanding of the the rich forms of human knowledge and of aspiration, uh, most of which cannot be dealt with adequately by science. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't thinking about uh, this in the context of next steps beyond the current uh, lockdown phase. But um, just spontaneously, let me ask, uh, do you think uh, there'll be particular uh, settings and policy debates uh, coming up in, in the next phase where we're actually trying to recover our economy and, uh, and uh, sort through some major uh, policy uh, activities and policy philosophies? Uh, are, are we in for an even more intense or at least continuing battle between uh, science and uh, 
religion in our governance? Well, I don't know if it'll really be a, a battle between science and religion, but uh, I think some will try to uh, frame it that way. Uh, I, I think this next phase is going to be very interesting because, uh, for example, uh, are, are people, you know, I've heard from a lot of friends who are just so hungry for being able to return to the Eucharist in areas where the mass, the public masses have been canceled. And I'm wondering, are, are people going to flock back to the churches with a renewed uh, understanding of how important the Eucharist is in their lives? Or will some people uh, decide that, you know, I'm used to not going to church on Sunday now. That's okay. Uh, I think I'll continue that a while. And I'm, you know, possibly both things will happen with different people. Or uh, are people now making decisions? I think I'm doing this making decisions about all the things that they spent a lot of time buying at stores and so on, and a lot of eating out at, you know, expensive restaurants that they can't do anymore. And they said, you know, I gave up that stuff and I didn't die. Uh, uh, <laughs> right. uh, are, are, is the economy going to spring back because people are starved for doing those things again? Or have they now got a new normal in which they will, uh, decide that a lot of that stuff was really not that necessary and they've spent more time at home whether it's reading or reflecting or doing other things that they decided uh has more meaning than all that consumerism uh and i don't know how to predict that uh we we've talked about a uh there's a recent article in the journal first things about one of the first great people who who wanted to establish a science of politics and human affairs, Machiavelli. Virtually all of Machiavelli's big predictions about what was going to happen from the exertion of uh, power in politics were completely wrong. He predicted that when the Medicis tried to take dictatorial power in Florence, for example, that it would necessarily fail. He had a whole equation for why it would fail. And they ended up in power in Florence for the next 300 years until the reunification of Italy in the 19th century. Uh, so uh, there are a lot of things that science can't figure out. A lot of the things it can't figure out have to do with people. And that's a good thing, because none of us wants to be seen as just a laboratory rat to uh, some scientist. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Machiavelli is uh, known for... Uh... Uh, the innovation of scientism, but people forget to actually uh, make some judgments on whether it worked or not, or does work. Yeah, yeah it didn't work well at all. Uh, <laughs> there's a, there's a, a line that I, I love uh, that uh, I, I became aware of from this article in First Things. It's from the economist and historian Neil Ferguson. Uh, the law of unintended consequences is the only law of history. Uh, and certainly uh, when science has been unleashed, it's produced some of those unintended consequences. Uh, whether it's the development of uh, nuclear power and its use for weapons of mass destruction, or whether it's from uh, the development of other advances that could be used for uh, taking life as well as serving life. And it's, uh, 
And dealing with that question of unintended consequences and trying to figure out what it is worth doing and what will be the bad consequences if we proceed is, again, it's not a scientific question. It's a question of moral judgment. Yes. Yeah. So bottom line, it sounds like uh, we we still have our work cut out for us as as Catholics and indeed uh, not just Catholics, but all. Uh, responsible participants in the fairly tough political debates and discourse that have to go on from here. Any any last thoughts about um, suggestions on on how to take that process uh, in light of your column and the connections and con- contexts you offered? Well, I think that. Uh... You know, the, the, the lockdowns, the uh, social isolation uh, do provide an opportunity for more serious reflection on issues like this and for figuring out what really is important in your life. And uh, uh, probably science is not at the top of that list. Uh, I think uh, human connection, relationships, your soul, and finding in uh, your life with others are or should be near the top of that list. Uh, science is a tool which can come in handy for you know uh, executing some of those decisions. But there's uh, uh, I'm trying to I would try to look at the bright side of everything. Uh, working in Washington D.C. for 36 years uh, taught me that's the only way to stay sane. I'd imagine <laughs> it's getting but, tougher. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but the bright side is. Uh, this gives us an, an opportunity to uh, think about our politics and how divisive and how uh, uh, ineffective, really, it's become. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the way it's driven people at loggerheads and uh, figuring out how to rise above the current divisions to try to find some common values that can lead us forward together. Hmm. Very, very good point. And uh, yeah, thank you for writing such a column that was actually very uh, fertile turf for lots of different reflections, past, present, and future. Uh, and thanks always for for the work that you've been doing and continue to do as a, a influencer and opinion shaper. May may you uh, may you have many more years uh, ahead for that because I think our public discourse is going to need it. It'll need all of us. Yes, thank Amen. you. <laughs> Amen. Gee, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Bill. Thanks for listening to this episode of That's So Second Millennium. TSSM's audio producer is Morgan Burkhardt. Our theme music, Igneous Grok, was composed and performed by Vin Marquardt. For my co-host, Bill Schmidt, I'm Paul Geesting. Until next time.